I want to take a moment tonight, and this will probably encompass a couple of our Sunday nights here, truthfully. Um, so this week and next week when we're doing our, our class set up. I wanted to talk about fellowship, service, and spiritual leadership, which sounds like a lot, and it is, which is why I said it might take a little while. Uh, but I, I feel like these ideas are tied together, and as we start talking about them, hopefully you will see and, and uh, you know, agree on, on the connection between some of these concepts. So before um, the holidays and the weather and the events derailed our, our weekly schedule a little bit, we were talking about church membership. We were talking about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And we mainly focused our conversations around three things. Uh, the first one was our terminology, which we went on to say was what we call ourselves, how we talk about ourselves, how we talk about the church, how we talk about Bible concepts as a whole. The second thing was we talked about uh, what we called our source, which really ended up meaning our source for our doctrine, our source for our faith, our source for our belief. Our, one of our main focuses in this section was Hebrews 12, 1 through 12, uh, which uses this phrase. It talks about Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. That author implies the beginner, the originator of faith, but perfecter is also the completer, the one who brings it to fruition, the, uh, the one who brings it to its fullness. And so, uh, all that we believe in, how we understand God, our whole view of God, our theology, all of these things must be centered around Christ and his word for us. About the lessons we can learn from Jesus' ministry, about who he was and, and what he did. And so, we, we use this phrase, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the beginning and the end. We looked at Revelation, which it calls him the Alpha and Omega. And so, Jesus is the source of for our faith. He is where our doctrine, where our beliefs, where our understandings stem from. If we, if we do anything, if we add anything, if we practice anything, we, sh we ought to be able to not only tie it back to his message and to his word, but any ideas and practices we have ought to be in submission to his word. We mentioned how there are, there are many different faiths out there where when the, the tradition of the church, or the tradition of uh, man, I will say, comes into conflict with Scripture, there are many different beliefs out there where the tradition wins out. And we said it's okay to have traditions as long as we understand that those traditions need to be subject to the Word. Jesus comes first, and I dare say Jesus comes uh, exclusively first. First to the exclusion of all other things. And so the last thing we talked about in this sort of series on church membership and what the church is was our purpose. And, and when we were talking about this, we mostly focused on kind of the more notable passages, right? Uh, we, we went on to talk about what it means for the church to be the body of Christ and how we're called to be one body, we're called to be connected, and, and all those different sort of um, uh, consequences of that illustration Paul uses about being the body of Christ. And we also looked at the second, the, the second kind of focus we took for purpose was probably the first thing that comes to most of our minds, and that is the, the Great Commission, the Gospel Call. You know, one of the, I would dare say, probably the second most famous verse in the Bible after John three sixteen, Matthew 28, 19. Go into all the world, making disciples and teaching them all of I have commanded you. Baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And so we looked at Matthew 28, 19 through 20. We looked at Mark 16, 16. We talked about what those means, what those don't mean. And what I wanted to do tonight, and for the next couple weeks on Sunday night, is really flesh out this idea of the purpose of the church. Because when we, were, when we began this conversation, 
we mentioned that these first few things, they are really foundational. That, that everything we do ought to stem from or build upon the idea that we're, as the Great Commission says, we're called to go out into the world and make disciples. And then secondly, we're called to connect to one another. And so I, I, to me, I kind of see this as two things. We're supposed to go externally and go internally. We're supposed to connect people to Jesus, and we're also supposed to connect people to people. We're supposed to be connected to each other. That's what it means to be the body, right? The body has connective tissue. The body is connected to itself. And so all of our other purposes or all of the other things that we do, the, the, the events we put on, the studies we have, the meeting times that we conduct, all of those should kind of be to these ends. And so... Uh, as we kind of begin our conversation tonight, I, I want you to really be thinking about uh, what is the purpose of the church? Because if you think about if you've ever been a part of any sort of corporation over a certain size, they have mission statements, right? If you're in a big enough corporation, you get to spend a whole four days learning their mission statements and their core values and using words like synergy and business-minded and profitability. But if, if we had mission statements at the church, I, I Personally, I would gravitate towards those two things we talked about, it being the body and something like Matthew 28, 19. But there are dozens, if not hundreds, of passages in the New Testament alone in which the, the purpose of the church or of Christians is laid out. And so I want to begin to map out at least a little bit more some of what our purpose should be. So for our first, I guess, really discussion question... If I said, okay, we understand the purpose is to connect to one another, and we understand our purpose is to make disciples, the two things we've already talked about, what are other things that come to mind? And this could be as specific as you want in terms of practices and behaviors. It could be as general as you want of attitudes and mindsets. But what are other things that come to mind when I ask you what is the purpose of the church? Can't go wrong there. Absolutely. Teach and preach. Teach and preach, certainly. Edification. There's a, a wisdom in the simplicity of that statement. Yeah, definitely. We talk all the time how if we look at Paul, Paul was not a lone wolf, lone ranger. And uh, I don't know, I guess the way I see it is like, Paul didn't go, if Jesus picked 12 people to go with him, I'll at least be picking 24 personally. I mean, I don't, I don't know where you scale yourself relative to Jesus, but I'm thinking at least twice the help, you know. Um, anything else? Glorification, edification, belonging. Benevolence, certainly. And we save the lost. you can save the lost, definitely. So I had a couple verses that kind of came to mind. Um, if we didn't have ideas, but you guys all had great ideas. But I want to go read a couple verses anyway. So we'll root these in some in some sort of verses, right? Turn to First John one. <clears throat> I'm sorry, First John four. First John four. Let's look at, we'll begin in verse 7. We've probably all heard this a million times. Uh, we'll read it together anyway. First John 4, beginning in verse 7. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So I know John 3.16 gets a lot of clout, a lot of talk, a lot of hype. Probably one of the most looked up verses, perhaps thanks to Tim Tebow. But I really like the way John phrases it in this letter. That he says, not only ought we to love one another, which encompasses belonging, connecting, and edifying each other, which is you know, building each other up. But it actually says that if we go all the way back to Genesis, we are made in the image of God. And if we are made in the image of God, we should possess within ourselves the kind of love God has for us. And it even uses this phrase that it says, anyone who does not love does not know God. And I think there's something really powerful about that. Because if you've ever been in a counseling session or a psychology setting, you've probably heard the expression that hurt people hurt people. And it's this idea that it refers to what is known in those setting, clinical settings as the cycle of abuse. That oftentimes people who cause her harm to others, whether physically or emotionally, are often themselves harmed in some way that they're trying to fix or repair or lash out against. And so oftentimes these issues stem from things that have happened to them. If I was to take this the complete opposite direction, or on the other end of the spectrum, I would say loved people love people. That if I don't love other people, I have probably somewhere along the lines failed to understand the scope and weight and gravity and size and volume of love God has for my broken, fallen, helpless, useless, weak, frail self. And I mean that because... This is not something I just came from the womb understanding. Like, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but my relationship with, like, the public at large has been very tumultuous over my lifetime, right? I've had customer service-facing jobs. I've had jobs. And so people don't always make you the most happy person in the world. But something I have really, really learned is that I, maybe you have experiences that, that, that co contrast with this or is different, but it, it, this seems to be prophetic in that the closer I grow to God and the stronger I grow in my faith, the easier I find it to express love to others. Because really, the closer we get to God, the, the smaller I realize I am. <laughs> and like the, the more insignificant I realize I am, which means when I'm upset, I'm like, this really doesn't matter. When someone's hurt me, I'm like, well, they've probably got other stuff going on. I don't take everything so personally. I realize everything's not quite really about me, and I realize how I treat other people is way more important than how they treat me. And so people who are loved by God ought to love other people. If we, if we, if we took this down the path of discipleship, of uh, teaching and spreading the word, preaching and teaching, I would say saved people save people. That is not to say that the power of their salvation lies with you and I, but if I understand my own salvation, and I understand the transformation that, is on, uh, that has gone on in my life through that salvation, why would I not want to tell everybody else and their mother about that salvation? And so I guess in a loose way, I told you it didn't have anything to do with it, but I guess it did have something to do with Luke 2 that we started with this, today. 
I really do think there's something kind of basic about that, that if, if we really, and I don't know on this side of eternity if we can ever fully understand what God has done for us, but if we really understood what God did for us, we would never be talking about how we need to evangelize because I think it's something like, as Peter says in Acts somewhere, and I can't remember, I, I ought to know this, but he says, as for us, we cannot help but speak for what Christ has done for us. And I mean, I just think about it. I don't, I'm, I don't know how many sports fans we have in here. It seems like all the ones I talk to are not sports fans, so maybe this will fall on deaf ears. But when there's an exciting yesterday, there was lots of exciting games on yesterday. I have friends who watch sports. We're texting about the games. I'm glad TCU won. They used to be affiliated with the Churches of Christ, so I kind of feel like, okay, closest we're going to get to a Power 5 team, so I'm cheering for TCU personally. You do what you want. God will do what he wants to do about that maybe, but that's a joke. Um, but I, my point is I was excited about what's going on. No one had to tell me, if you like football, you better be talking to your friends about it. What happened? I like it, so I talked to my friends about it. It makes me happy. It brings me joy. I, I get excited watching the games. So I'm texting people I know who, who I think would want to hear what I have to say about it. I'm probably telling my wife who doesn't really want to hear what I have to say about it more than she cares to hear. <laughs> in, I, I really think that when we are plugged in and we understand and we are trying to really wrap our brains around just the insane thing that God has done for us, we can kind of have that same excitement in our lives. We, we can have that same level of like, man, I I gotta tell people about this. This is interesting. This is crazy. This is engaging. This is awesome. There's all this cool stuff happening in my life, and I know other people who are struggling, and like, man, they really need to hear this. And so hopefully, when we understand God's love for us, I, I don't really know how to put this into exactly listing an action that is our purpose. But hopefully the things that we do for other people are motivated by love and not just motivated by this sense of innate love that comes from within us, but a sense of love that comes from understanding who God is. Would surfing be a good word? Say again? Would surfing be a good word? It would be. And in fact, that was the title of my lesson was Fellowship, Service, and Spiritual Leadership. We'll probably get through one of those tonight. Serve, yeah. I see where you're saying. I said I didn't really think of actionable words that come from love. Yes, and that's, that's, I guess, what I was saying, and I think these ideas are all tied together. And so when we think about the purpose of the church, serving is certainly something that should be a natural outflow of the kind of things we want to do. Uh, let's flip over. Let's look at Acts 17.11. I'll actually have someone else read this. Uh, Acts 17, verse 11. Does anyone, well, I don't mean to put anybody on the spot. Someone read 1 Peter 3.15. If you know it, quote it, but 1 Peter 3.15. Be ready to, yes, be ready to give an answer to show that self-approved for the work. Love, and to totally shift gears in terms of why we do the things we do and the attitude by which we should do it. 1 Peter 3.15 is a little bit easier to grasp without context, and so I'm going to jump back to Acts 17. In the context of Acts 17, Paul is visiting many cities. He's going around to a lot of different places. He's trying to preach the word. He's doing a lot of dusting his shoes off and going to the next town, right? 
If you've ever done a study of Acts, the middle of Acts looks about like this. Paul went to the town. He preached the gospel. A few people liked it at first, and then the rest of the town got really mad, so Paul had to leave. And then he went to the next town. <laughs> and it kind of, there's a little bit of a cycle like this. But something interesting happens in Berea. It says they immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They arrived, they went to a Jewish synagogue. If we know Acts, this was their custom. And it says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In terms of how we treat others, I want us to keep on the forefront of our minds the concepts that we talked about from 1 John 4. But when, it ta when we talk about what we do amongst ourselves in sort of our internal workings, I start with this because I think if we are studying, if we are in the word, if we are growing in knowledge of the word, if we are sure of our own faith in our own understanding of the word, we're going to keep ourselves out of a lot of problems. You've probably heard me reference before, and one of the lessons we're going to do on one of these Sunday nights is going to be about church organization and how we often get it wrong and why it's this way and not this way and the scriptures that talk about that. But when it comes to false doctrine, you're going to have a really hard time getting into a place of false doctrine if you are constantly studying the word, right? If I'm constantly studying what is correct, and if someone teaches me something and I know I need to go back and I need to check and I need to understand if that's correct, I'm going to have a hard time walking away or straying from the path that God leads in front of me. And you'll notice all these other things that we've been talking about, about what our purpose is. They seem to all stem from this. We, all of our classes seem to have the same textbook, right? As, we're, as we talk about the purpose of the church, we are studying the word to see if this is true. And so when we even talk about our purpose, our understanding of what our purpose is and how we should conduct ourselves and when it should be with love and if it should be with edification and all these, it should always be rooted in a, in a solid understanding of God's word. And so I feel like it's never a bad time to reference Acts 17, 11. Heritage, Heritage Christian, they have a... They have a thing they were doing for a while throughout the school year that once a week they would release these little like one-hour sort of seminar things that they'd have different professors and guest speakers do. And they just called it the Berean Study Series. And all they did is they had some of these guys who were very knowledgeable in the Word pretty much just talk for about 45 minutes on, say, uh, different hard concepts sometimes. Like one of them was the word propitiation and reconciliation and other times it was different than concepts like worship and well, what really is worship and how does the Bible talk about worship and what are and what they tried to do is say let's try and address at least all of the prominently known texts that address this topic and that's all they did there wasn't really necessarily an end goal or a series of ideas we're going to talk about worship and we're going to talk and deeply look at what God's word has to say on about for example this topic and I think there's something I'm more, I don't know, maybe my brain is simpler than some of theirs. I'm a little more story-focused. <laughs> if you ever notice, a lot of my preaching, I gravitate towards stories. That's how my brain works. It's easy. There's a beginning, middle, end. And the Bible is chock full of stories. But there's something to be said about saying, you know what? I know that we're going to worship the same way next week as we did last week. But let's take some time and let's make sure we understand everything the Bible has to say about this, for example. Or if we're looking for elders. Something we are doing is... We did this, uh, I think it was a month ago. 
I don't think I got to it in December. I know I did in November. We're going to talk about it again before January is up. We're going to look at some of the texts the Bible has to say about elders. Why? Because it's, it is good for us to study the Word on these topics. And so just in search for our purpose, it ought to be rooted in the text. Uh, flip over to Acts 2.44, and this will probably be a good ender. I'm pretty sure my first ever Bible class I taught here, I don't remember if I was doing 2 Peter then too by coincidence or what. But I think I told you guys, I really like a Bible class with the discussion, but I have a tendency to rant and take up the entire time available in Bible class to not allow for discussion. So I'll just, I'll take a moment to say that again, that I really do like discussion, but I've noticed sometimes I tend to get a little, I don't know, preachy, I guess. So sometimes you'll just have to stop me and cut me off if you need to, but don't be afraid to. I usually won't just shout you down. Um, we'll read this, and then I'll open it up for just some sort of comments and other thoughts. Uh, Acts 2, and we will begin in, we'll, we'll read the whole section, we'll, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I've got more than five minutes of stuff I want to say about this, but I, I told you guys I want to have a little bit. Thoughts, comments, questions, additions, subtractions, the things we've talked about so far just in our 20 minutes here tonight. Either 1 John 4 or Acts 17, 11, serving in general. Absolutely, and that, I'm going to come back to that. Other thoughts? Okay. Well, the reason I said I was going to come back to that is because that is why the section we're going to talk about next week is fellowship, and my subtitle is fellowship, more than a meal. Because oftentimes we call it a lunch we have once a month, a, you know, a fellowship meal, um, or at least I know other places have. But I think fellowship is one of those words we can kind of not quite, I don't want to say get wrong, but I think don't quite fully grasp what it calls us to do. Because as you mentioned, if you look at Acts 2, they are physically together. They're in each other's homes. They're having meals together. They're obviously doing what we would call worshiping together because they're teaching and they're praying and they're, they're praising together. But I think the thing that would strike out, that, that would, would stick out to us so much if we just zapped back in time and saw a, a picture of the early church would be what I would call their oneness. And I say that because I don't think unity even really begins to cover it. They were together physically, but they were connected socially. It says they were distributing as any had need. 
without getting into a rabbit hole on why this isn't communism, I do want to say that there's something to be said about it. And, and maybe this is just the town I grew up in, and I think in other parts of the world this is called southern hospitality, right? If your neighbor came down the street and they said, hey, can I have a cup of sugar? And they didn't look like the big bad wolf. You would give them a cup of sugar and say, well, do you need butter? Do you need eggs? What are you making? You know, if someone calls you and they have the wrong number, well, who are you looking for? What, what can I do for you? If you've been to somebody's house, they certainly say, in fact, if you've been there more than once, they might use this expression, make yourself at home. What are they saying? You know where the food is? If you're hungry, get yourself something to eat. If you're thirsty, get yourself something. If you have a need, address that need as if it was my own need. My, my, my resources are at your disposal to address the need that you have. And I think there's something to be said about being so close to one another emotionally and, and um, I guess mentally, emotionally, socially, that if you have a need, if someone was hungry, if someone was looking for a place to stay, if someone was looking for a job, if someone you knew was in need of a car, if they had something going on, you would treat that as if that crisis or that need was within your own your own immediate family. If there was a child who was crying, you would comfort that child as if it was your own. The church I grew up in, if you were out of line, they would discipline the child as if it was your own. I don't think that's as popular today, but I'll probably hold my thoughts on about that for another lesson. Um, I'm sure in about 10 years I'll need all the help I can get. But there's something to be said about, about hearing and responding to and recognizing the needs of people within our spiritual family as if they were our own needs. I'll say one more thing and then we'll wrap this up. A message that pervaded Jared's service yesterday was this idea that family is not just blood family, but your your family is, I don't think they said what you make it, but that it, something along those lines. I wish I could remember, but I, I thought of something a mentor of mine said a long time ago. And he said, well, you and I, he said, we're blood relatives. We are joined by the blood of Christ. And I say that to say that I, just like all these other things we talk about, I know many of you are going to tell me, well, I love my family. Actually, maybe you're all going to tell me that. <laughs> you love your children. You love your parents. You, you love the people in your family that you care about. But I would challenge you and say that your, your bond to your fellow Christians is something that should supersede every other bond or connection you can have to anybody on this side of eternity. Because there is a faith that we share in a oneness that we should have that really is higher than anything else on the planet. And so when we read verses that talk about the, them being of one mind and of one heart, I think if we studied the New Testament church, we would really be struck by their oneness. Thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. I will take your silence as vast and unquestioned agreement with everything I said. <laughs> Hold you to it later. Um, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you on this day, on the, the first day of the week, on the, the Lord's Day, on a Sunday, to, to devote this day to you from morning to night, from our breakfast to our lunch to when we lay down at night, to, to spend just one day, 12% of our week, to focus on you, on what your purpose is for us as Christians, on what your goals are for us as a church, as a spiritual family, for what we can do 
to, to bring God to the people in the town of Dover, in the, in the area of Stewart County, into West Tennessee, to all the world, to make nations, to make disciples of all nations as you have called us. I ask that this time that we have spent studying your word can be beneficial, that it has built us up, that it has lifted us up, that we can go throughout our week and throughout our lives to be, to be better examples to point people to you. We ask all these things through Christ your Son. Amen. Four-letter word can never be left out. Please, God, can't.